Amen. You know, before we get into our sermon, I'd like to say thank you to all of you that have been praying for us and uh, the emails and phone calls since I saw you last. We've had some excitement at our house. The head and chest thing that I had, I coughed so hard, I blew a gasket and um, I had to go to the doc a couple of weeks ago and they eviscerated me and took things out and put other things in that I wasn't planning on and and uh, just all of your kindness this past couple of weeks. We really appreciate it. God yeah. heard your prayers and the peace that came with it. We're so thankful for it. The meals were fantastic. And just the, the calls and the kindness and prayers, we're so thankful for you. Uh, what a blessing you are. And uh, this morning we're going to be continuing in our uh, study in 1 Corinthians. So I encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to be in the first 11 verses there. And um, we're breaking this passage into three sections. Uh, the first section is going to be verses 1 through 3, where it talks about we confess the same Lord. The second section is verses 4 through 6, where it says we depend on the same God. And then verses 7 through 11 is the third section, where it talks about we minister to the same body. So as we look at this passage on uh, spiritual gifts, this is the context we're going to be looking at it in. And the first of those is we confess the same Lord. It says in verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And I love that about our God, that God, though he sits in the heavens, cares about us as his people. What is man that you are thoughtful, you are mindful of him? He cares about us enough to communicate with us. And if he communicates with us, we ought to listen, right? And so this is important stuff this morning. God is saying, I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. The setting is, is worship, as we've said, the next three chapters in particular. He's talking about how to come together as the body and how to minister to one another through something that he's going to talk to us about called spiritual gifts. And if you want to kind of see what he's really after in the biggest sense, you go to the last mm -hmm. verse of a section. You want to look at verses in context. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 ends in chapter 14, verse 40. And it says, but all things should be done decently and in order. And Paul is obviously addressing the Corinthian culture where the church, though they had been gifted, very gifted, and they, they believed the gospel and loved the gospel, had been changed by the gospel, it had kind of turned into crazy town in the church. You ever been in a church like that? You kind of go, oh, I don't know if we're like, like <laughs> where we're going here. I don't even know if God's even being honored here. And this is what was going on in the Corinthian church. And so Paul is saying, now look it, you got to understand that there's a way to do church family together. And I'm interested in it being a way that builds the body up. But it's got to be done decently in order. And so he comes to them with these instructions. We do not think it's much of a stretch to say that most of what Paul dealt with with the Corinthians were good things that they had taken to some ridiculous extreme. They had just gone out way out on the, the swing of the pe clock pendulum and they had stayed out there. And what Paul wants to do is, let's bring us back to center. What is the purpose of these things? What's the, the benefit of them? And there are some who are saying, well, my gift's more important than your gift. And, and I'm a better Christian than you are because I have this gift. It's nonsense. And what Paul is going to do next week when Travis is preaching to us out of the last part of this chapter is talk about it in terms of the body. There's no part of the body that's of greater value, importance, or benefit than any other part. It takes all of the parts to make the body. And for anyone to say, I have this gift, therefore I'm better than you, is absolute nonsense. But that's what they had brought in from their culture. And so 
he, he turns and deals with them in, in this verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Apparently, this is one of the questions that they had sent him. We've seen several questions through the book, and we'll see a couple more. And this is him saying, okay, now on the question you had concerning spiritual gifts, let's talk about that one for just a minute. Yeah, and he's really concerned that they do it in a way that builds the body up. In fact, this, the, the very famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, lands in the middle of this discussion of spiritual gifts. We, we pull it out of context and use it in weddings and things, which is really wonderful and awesome. But it really is speaking to a church family that's trying to figure out how to serve one another, how to minister to one another, how to do life well together. How do we come together and each be a benefit to build each other up. And that is the concern. And it's of high value to Paul that we understand how to do this. When you look at Romans chapter 12, which I think is the best chapter in the whole Bible on how to live out the gospel as his people. Here is now the whole gospel, chapters 1 to 11 of Roman, and now here's how you go do it, right? And starting right out of the blocks, it tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? We should be new people. Now, don't give ourselves to the ways of the world, but give yourselves to God and his word and his ways and walk in those ways. That's the, the basic instruction. But right after the most basic instruction on how to live out our lives, he jumps into a section on spiritual gifts. That puts it really a very prominent subject for God's people. How do we come together, each of us uniquely gifted, minister to one another so that we really truly grow as Christians and really truly honor Christ as a group of people together? So this thing of gifts is an important thing. And what he tells us here in verse 1 is, um, I do not want you to be uninformed, is what it says in the ESV. Others say ignorant. Ignorant is, is, is a fixable issue. Ignorant is just a lack of knowledge, ignosis. It's just lack of knowing something. Stupid, however, is a bigger issue. But ignorant, we can fix ignorant, is what Paul is saying. I don't want you to be uninformed about these things. And it's interesting how he uses that word ignorant uh, in his writings. There are four major theological themes that Paul uses that word on. First off, he says in Romans, I don't want you to be ignorant about Israel and their future redemption. I don't want you to miss the importance. I don't want you to be ignorant about the importance of forgiveness and how Satan uses unforgiveness to destroy us in 2 Corinthians. He says, the second coming of Christ, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have already fallen asleep and when Christ is going to return. And now here he says, I do not want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, and that cracks me up. Because if there are four topics that the church is ignorant about, it's those four. The very four that Paul said, look, you need to know what's going on here. These are the ones that we've just gotten kind of freaked out and scared by. And Paul wants to say, listen, this is practical. This is every day. This is reasonable. This is life stuff. And he has to deal with them, look there in verse 2, in the context of the culture they're coming out of. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And what he's saying is that... You, you people, you've gone to all kinds of nonsensical expressions of worship in the temples to idols that you've gone to your whole lives. And now you're bringing that into the church? That is unacceptable. We are not here to show how weird we can be, but how practical a relationship with Jesus is and how life-changing it really can be. So let's bring this thing to center. It always is a danger, I think, wherever we live and in whatever day we live in, of the culture making its way into the church, where the things that were done by us as unbelievers out there, we bring those into the church. And we've got to guard ourselves against that. That is Paul's concern, as Pastor Robert just said, that there was pagan worship going on. They'd been saved out of paganism. 
But their worship started to look kind of like paganism, right? Fanaticism and out-of-control, ecstatic worship that uh, wasn't decently and in order. It reminds us, as we were talking about this week, of, of Mount Carmel and Elijah's there and all the prophets of, of Baal were there and they're cutting themselves and they're going crazy trying to stir up their pagan gods. It was out of control and nothing good was going on. And Paul is saying, come on now, let's, let's think uh, godly and maturely about our worship. And so let's be a, a people who uh, not let ourselves give ourselves to the culture, but be uh, careful to be God's people in God's way, in God's church culture. There is a proper expression of gifts, and it is found when verse 3 is paramount in the minds and lives of those participants. Look at what it says in verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the commentators said, uh, it says, I'm giving you this rule to distinguish. Here's the test that you can use. We see the same kind of thing in other passages. That the most important thing, that the confession that will override and undergird everything that goes on in the life of a Christian is the simple confession, Jesus is Lord and there is salvation in no one other than Him. And if your ecstasy, if your experience, if your expression of worship detracts from that, takes away from that, listen, it's not the confession that needs to change, it's our conduct that needs to change. Amen? Yeah. Because the only thing that matters, and the only thing that will still matter in a thousand years, and when we read 1 Corinthians 13, all of these things come to an end, except this thing, that Jesus is Lord, and He is all that matters for all of eternity. Yeah, this is His church, right? And Pastor Robert and I and staff, we, we shepherd and we guide, but we are well aware that, that you are precious to Jesus, and that's why you are precious to us. And, and so we need to say, Jesus, you are Lord of your church. We are here to submit ourselves to you, and all of our actions and all of our worship and all our behaviors and everything we do is under this, this confession. Jesus, you are Lord. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? It is the confession that saves us. When we give our lives to Christ as Lord, then we are saved. And we need to be careful then in the church that all that we do and all that we come together and speak of and how we act to one another is under the lordship of Christ, that it builds up Jesus, that we help each other become like Jesus, that we encourage one another to uh, worship and praise Jesus. That's, that's what we're called to do is make Jesus Lord in this place. And we need to be careful in that passage in Romans 10, 9 that we get saved and Lord in the right order because there are a lot of us who want to be saved. We want to miss hell and go to heaven. That's not the primary goal of salvation. It's easy to get people out of hell. Just introduce them to Jesus, and that'll take care of that. The purpose of salvation is to deliver us from ourselves, from the flesh that is destroying our lives and give us victory over the world that we live in. And the way that that happens is not by saying, oh, I, I want to be saved, I want to go to heaven, but I'm going to do it on my terms. What it says is, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. Now that's first. And you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead? The result of that will be salvation. 
It follows the confession that Jesus is Lord and there is salvation in no one other than him. And all of the pagan gods that they used to serve and all of the pagan gods that you and I used to serve, which yeah. we call by a different name and have, have better advertising and but cooler billboards on the interstate, yeah, yeah. they are not, they are not worthy of our worship. And Paul is making sure that we know all that matters yeah. is what is your confession? Jesus is Lord. That will dictate our conduct. That will dictate our entertainment. That will dictate the very way we live our lives. Yeah, there is one Lord, and that's Jesus. And we're going to follow him at Risen Life, aren't we? And that will keep us in order and keep us honoring Christ in a way that is healthy for us. So we are to confess the same Lord. Secondly, we are to depend on the same God. Now, this is a really cool little section of verses, verses 4 to 6, because it's very Trinitarian. Uh, we see the Spirit, and we see the Son, and then we see the Father giving out gifts, and they're given to us so that we can build each other up. Now, now I want you to see that we start by talking about a really a wide range of variety of gifts. Look at verse 4. It says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there's a variety of services, of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So this picture of giftedness, all of us are, are given a gift. We're to come and minister to each other out of that gift. This range of gifts is huge. Uh, none of these lists, lists in the Bible, there's several places where the list of spiritual gifts are complete in themselves. To me, it's, it's open. Otherwise, God would give us that one final succinct list and repeat it and repeat it. It's an open, broad range of giftedness given to us by the Spirit of God uh, to build up the body. And we're to find our place in that, that we need to know that there's this wide range of gifts. Each of us has one, and we need to come together to use them to build up the body. And even the ability to live a celibate life. Do you realize that's called a gift? 1 Corinthians 7, 7. But each has his own gift from God. It's the same word. I asked Pastor Jared to look that up this morning. He could get to Greek faster than I could, and he can read it. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's the same word. You realize the ability to live a celibate life is a gift? I don't have that gift. I don't have it. And those that do have it, we, that's not a dishonor. That is a gift from God. You're going to dishonor a gift from God? I don't think so. And the expression that these take, look at the variety. He said in verse 4, the variety of gifts. You just take, take the gift of teaching. There are some of you in here that can teach children and actually enjoy it. And the kids will go, ooh, I learned something today. If I were to walk in there, they would say, who is this weird old person and why do I have to sit in here with him? They wouldn't get anything out of me. I don't, I don't know how blessed I would be. Now, if they're my grandkids, that's going to be different. But, and the same could be said about prophecy. The gifts of prophecy, well, I can't prophesy. That's if you stand up and preach. You know what it says? Listen, a thing is defined by its definition. Now, I know that's real deep, <laughs> but it's true. And here's the definition. Here's the definition of prophecy, 1 Corinthians 14, 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for three things. Upbuilding, encouragement, consolation. What is prophecy? Anything that upbuilds, encouraged, and called souls. Have you ever been upbuilt, encouraged, or consoled by something that somebody walked up to you and said? Have you ever... Okay, this is stretching it. You ever watched a movie and gotten to the end of the movie and said, I want to serve Jesus better because of something you saw in that movie? Have you? Am I the only one in the room? 
Look, somebody just, just give me a courtesy nod. Yeah, okay, sure, whatever. There's one. Thank you. You know what happens when, when you watch a movie and you walk out of it saying, I want to serve Jesus better? You've just been prophesied to. Oh, well, that's not nearly as big a deal as standing in a pulpit. Friends, all it, all it matters is what's the definition? Let's walk out of this thing. If it makes us want to serve Jesus better, there are all kinds of varieties, is what it says, of gifts. It just covers huge spectrums of how this thing can be expressed, no one of which yeah. is better, more important, more, pr better proof that the Holy Spirit is there than any of the others. We just want the Holy Spirit to move and minister. It really is the coolest thing. You've been gifted this morning, and you come here to express that gift and to use it. And Sunday by Sunday, we come here and we say things to one another. Have you ever said something? You go, I think maybe that encouraged them, right? Or, or someone says something to you. It's like just that word that you needed just at that moment. That was you and God working through you to touch a life. And we're all uniquely wired. I had one of the parents uh, last week say to me, a parent of a, of a, of a student in our, in our group, say, you know what, Josh Jost just has this ability to explain the gospel to students, and they really get it. Dude. Right? That, <laughs> 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 Woo That's Josh, man. Right? That isn't Robert and Kevin. No. 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 Right? And some of us can do the one-year-olds like my wife and love it and change the diapers and love it, you know, and no. most of us aren't signing up for that, no. right? And what a blessing. But all of us bring something different. And so God is encouraging us to come together. Uh, we, we read about Jesus' gifts to the church in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. It says, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. See, when we express our gifts, when we use what God has given us to do, we make a difference. I think all of us want our lives to matter so badly we want them to matter. This is the way they can matter. Let God's Spirit minister through you. You will touch and change lives and build one another up, and you'll go, I made a difference. It's the coolest thing. So verse 4, we have varieties of gifts by the Spirit that all of us receive. In verse 5, we have varieties of service, which is a breakdown, organizational administration, leadership in the church that Jesus gives in Ephesians 4. And then it says in verse 6, there are varieties of activities or energies, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. That is the difference of varying degrees of energies that the Father has given that for different levels, for different places of ministry. You know, if Pastor Kevin and I were asked to stand in front of the crowds that Billy Graham stood in front of, we would probably both become a, a, a pile of heaping goo. We don't have that level. We don't have that level of energy, that level, that variety of activity. That's something that God graced these other brothers with and these other individuals who can stand in front of enormous clouds like, crowds like that. And does that mean that they're better, more important than we are, than you are, than someone who doesn't have that? No. It just means that they are gifted differently with a different degree of energy. I cannot imagine how much physical energy that takes. And the Bible says that it's the Father who gives variety of activities, variety of energies for the things that we do. Friends, there are some of you in this room that are doing things. There's no way in life I could ever pull it off. Could not do it at all. The ministries that you're involved in, the places that you go, the people you minister, couldn't possibly do it. Because God's given you that level of energy, that variety of activity.
He has equipped you to do it in a remarkable and in a specific, unique fashion. Doesn't mean you're less than, doesn't mean you're better than. Means that we are servants of God on an equal standing. And I find this so encouraging, right? I, I have seen myself so often as so average in the things that I do. I, I had a good friend uh, in Nebraska who pastored with me, and whenever he would have an altar call and he did it commonly, I mean, people would just stand up and stream forward and lives would be like changed and I would like try it and like nobody would stand up. I would think I wouldn't at least one of them like just out of courtesy like make it look like <laughs> I did something that day. <laughs> and it was so frustrating. But in all honesty, it's just ego, right? You know, I think we, we, we want to be so powerful, but God says, look at some will be more powerful than others, and it's okay. It's my gifting. It's my wiring. It's my Holy Spirit in you, and some are meant to have a, and thank goodness, right, for this. Some are meant to have a milder form of ministry. Yep. I like mild people. Yep. They're easier to get along with most of the time, you know, and so it's a good thing, and so we need to say, God, thank you that you have given a wide variety of gifts. You've given us different places to minister them, and we're all different. And you've given different energies and powers that, that, that come, and some with great power and some gently, and it's a beautiful thing when we all fit together. This last year, Kevin was able to meet one of my buddies from college, a guy named Tommy Kelly. That he's an evangelist, he's an evangelist. Man, I could witness to somebody for years and they wouldn't get saved. And Tommy would come in and sneeze and they'd fall under the power, you know. And what do I have to do to be saved? And it just frustrated me to no end. Because he just, he just, you know, people just got saved with, with my buddy Tommy. And they didn't with me. And so the temptation was there to say, well, if I'm, not gonna be good, I'm just not going to do evangelism. Does the fact that Tommy Kelly's better at evangelism mean that I don't have to do it? No. I do it with the energy, with the variety of service, with the level of gift that I have. And if I am one of those steps in the seven with the old statistic that it takes seven positive encounters with a Christian to bring somebody from lost to saved, if I'm one of those steps and, and Tommy just has a way of being five, six, and seven to bring him into conversion, that's great. But if I'm just going to be number four for the rest of my life, bless God, I want to be number four. I want to be to the best of my ability. And then when I see Tommy walk by, hey, come, come over here. I'm going, to, I'm going to Burger King. Finish this thing up for me. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine to recognize the difference in gifts and to be able to receive them with thanksgiving. It doesn't, you know, when Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist, I have wondered for years, did he tell him that because he was gifted as an evangelist and Paul's saying, go do what you're good at? Or did he say that because he was not gifted as an evangelist and Timothy was tempted to say, well, I'm just going to stay at the house and watch Oprah and let go somebody else go do that. No! You, I don't know which it is, but whichever it is, go do the work of an evangelist to the, to the variety of gift, to the variety of service, to the variety of activity that you have been blessed with. So we confess the same Lord, and we depend on the same God who gives us these gifts, and then we want to continue on the series and just say that we minister to the same body, that these are, meant to, these are given to us to minister to one another. Look at verse 7. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I, I love this verse. We're going to sit here for a little while. Um, and it starts by saying, each of us have been given a gift. Um, I was talking to a person after the first service, and she was saying to me, I didn't really even know that I had a gift. I don't even know where to begin with this. Right? And I don't think that's really uncommon. That was honest mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. real. I think it's... An experience for many, like, what am I gifted to do? 
Well, you need to start by saying and know that God has gifted you. He mm -hmm. has. Uh, and, I, and I happen to know this person fairly well, so I could actually say to her, well, look, consider this and this and this. Look at what God is using you in kind of unique ways. And, and that's true for all of us. And sometimes we just simply need to ask those who are around us that watch us and see us function and see us live with others and that they can help us. But we need to understand that all people are given at least a gift. Some are given several gifts, but God has equipped his body for the building up to become like Christ, people with giftedness. And I assure you, that's a lot at stake for God, and he has given you a gift to build one another up. We could easily break this verse into three sections. It says, to each is given, the manifestation of the Spirit, and for the common good. To each is given. Everyone is given a gift of the Holy Spirit when we have accepted Christ, because the gift is not attached to us. The gift is attached to the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he brings that gift with him. So each one has been given. And look at what it says. So each has been given the manifestation of the Spirit because it's the manifestation of Him. It's the, it's the Holy Spirit that matters. It's not about us. It's about the Holy Spirit. And that manifestation of the Spirit can be something so subtle that you don't even realize you're doing it, as Pastor Kevin just said, but you've been doing it for years. We had a woman in Mississippi. We were starting to help a church plant down in central Mississippi years ago. And um, there was a woman who said, look, have it at my house. I'll prepare everything. I'll get everything ready for everybody. And we just start this thing here. And I'll just, I'll be the one that is in the background. And she knew what everybody liked to drink, knew what everybody liked to eat, and had everything ready and just created an atmosphere where it was so easy for those who were teaching to come in and do the teaching. And we were teaching on this concept one night in another book. And she said, wait a minute, I don't have a gift. What are you talking about? Do you realize the ability? To create an environment where people can be at ease and talk about the Word and everything just be taken care of? Do you realize how rare that is? That is a gift that the vast majority of us in this room have no concept of. And here this woman was nearly 70 years old and never realized that not only did she have a gift, she had been flowing in it with ease for years being a blessing to the body because she just came and said, look, I can't teach, but I can do this. And she brought what she had to the table and it made for a wonderful potluck. Yeah. The converse is also true. If you don't bring your giftedness, if you don't bring what you have to the body, we're missing something. There's a gap. There's a hole here. And so it's so important that we see this kind of in this casual day, you know, about commitment. Right? And, and casual day about whether we need to be here or not even. And look at we need you. If you don't come, something gets missed. Mm. And so we come together to build each other up and to serve one another. Uh, Ephesians 4, 12 to 16 says that God uh, has given us, Jesus has given us these gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to unity in the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I mean, just stop right there for just a second. Giftedness does all of that expressed appropriately. It builds unity. It builds maturity. makes us more like Jesus, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Expressing our giftedness keeps us centered and keeps us from getting off track and shipwrecked and in the ditch. Verse 15, rather, we're to speak the truth in love and we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, 
from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part does its work properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so what is at stake here is the very maturity of us as people, the very um, growth so that we actually make Christ known in the world, so that we actually encourage one another. So often and so classically in the day of of large churches, it's kind of like we find one super gifted person and put them on stage and they express their gift and we love it and applaud or whatever and then we give so they can keep expressing their gift and we just sit there and enjoy them ministering to us. And that is not the picture of the New Testament church. It's all of us coming together to minister to one another. Mm -hmm. And Pastor Robert and I, we come here, we use our gifts, but you know what? We're here to be ministered to by you. And if you don't do your thing to encourage us and strengthen us and bring your gift to us, we begin to shrivel. We'll become worse than we are because we're not being ministered to. It's a mutual thing in the body of Christ. So the contribution of each gift and the recognition is that, that no gift is of greater importance than any other is what Paul is calling us to. This is what keeps us from becoming nut jobs at church. Because here's the reality. Your gift is not about you. It's not for you. It is for the body. He said in 1 Peter 4, as each each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And as we use it to serve one another, here's what he said, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As you give that gift to the ministry, to the needs of others, you are being a good steward of what God has entrusted to you. And it is required of a steward that a man be found faithful, is what Paul tells us in Corinthians. It is required of us. That gift is for someone else over in 1 Corinthians 14, just a couple of pages over. It says, so with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, ooh, we all want to have the cool ones. Here's what I want you to do. Strive to excel in building up the church. Because your gift is not about you. It is about the church. God has given each one severally. The Bible says differently, severally. The Holy Spirit has given each one severally as He wills so that the body, the church, can be built up. So we want to encourage you to try things out, right? Give it a shot. Ask God to help you understand how he has equipped you and made you and gifted you and give it a shot. And know that, you know, your first try may not be the grandest, right? It happens. We, I mean, God does not give us gifts and expect us to operate perfectly in them. We don't preach anywhere close to perfectly. Every Sunday we know that there are things we say that probably aren't right. Sorry to disappoint you. Right? But, and if we knew what they were, we'd change it. We would. We're doing our best. But we also know that God takes even our imperfect things and in Jesus uses them to touch and change lives. That's the great news. So, so try being an encourager. Try being a person that shows mercy. Call the person who is sick. Serve in the two-year-old classroom. Try different things and see what uh, people say like that. You really blessed me. And we learn and we grow and give yourself freedom to fail and be imperfect and have moments where you just think, well, that's probably not my thing. Maybe I'll try something else. Yeah, you, I quit listening to my sermons years ago because it just got so depressing. Because, you know, you're talking about the priest, the high priest robe and off the, off the bottom of the robe hung pomegranates and I listened to the sermon and I saved cornflakes or some stupid something and just, oh man, I don't even want to, I can't even listen to it anymore. So we just say, God, here, look, 
Here's my best. Amen? Here's my best. God, please. God wants, God wants His work accomplished more than I do. Amen? So all we have to do is come in and say, here's the best that I have. I just want to give it to you. You use it. Be glorified somehow. And so Paul next goes into a section that, verses 8 through 10, where he enumerates some gifts. And this is just one, like Pastor Kevin said, one of several lists in the New Testament. And um, there are some who are going to say these have ended. Uh, we are not that group. Those are, that's called cessationism. We do not believe that. We do not believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ended. We believe that they are still available to the church. And there are going to be some who say that, well, some of them have ended and others have not. We're not comfortable with that because we just don't find a verse that says this ends. You know, there are some who are going to say, if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Ghost. There are some who are going to say, if you speak in tongues, you got the devil. Both of them are nonsense. Both of them are nonsense. We don't find it biblical foundation for either of those extremes and so what we submit is this is just what the bible says and we've broken these into three basic categories here we're not going to be able to unpack each one of them but the first category is verses eight and a little bit of nine speaking gifts where it says to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit verse nine to another prophecy. Those are speaking gifts that the Holy Spirit enlivens. He brings to life in us. And listen, it's not something as weird as you fall into a trance and you start jiggling around on the floor and you start uttering epa, epa, epa or something like that. That's out of the Simpsons movie, by the way. But anyway, <sighs> listen, this is simple, practical, everyday stuff. How many times have you ever been stuck on something at work and you say, dear God, please help me? And a Flash of genius. That's not a flash of genius. That's a word of knowledge, man. That's a word of wisdom to know what to do and how to get out of a situation. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. So we say, wow, thank God. It's as simple and practical as that and as divine as and eternal as being ministered to in a church service or any other kind of spiritual gathering. So we have the speaking gifts, and a lot of us possess speaking gifts where we can use in a variety of ways words to encourage and build up the body of Christ. The next little category in verses 9 and 10 is uh, miraculous gifts, um, kind of a simple category for these. But, but I want to stop before I even talk about miraculous gifts and say I think that all gifts are a miracle. Mm -hmm. When I get used by God to speak a word, for example... It's a miracle. My, my wife has said to me more than once, you know, Kevin, it's kind of like a miracle every time you stand up there and preach, right? And, and I go, yeah, you know, you're right. I feel like, like I made it, right? I survived, and God carried me through, and like, it's a cool thing. And so all gifts that we use when God uses us is a miracle. Um, and then these unique kind of gifts where it says uh, gifts of faith, uh, gifts of healing, gifts of miracles or distinguishing spirits, kind of a discerning spirit to know what's of God and what's not, uh, commonly are called more miraculous gifts. But I don't want us to be weirded out by this or these things. You know, I think sometimes they get set aside by people because people are uncomfortable with them. I don't think we need to do that. God, look, this shouldn't shock you. God heals. Amen? Right? God does miracles. Anybody believe that here? Yep. Yeah, right? I mean, God gives us incredible faith to do things way beyond what we'd ever ask or think. He does this, right? And some people are really wired for this. 
right? When, when, when somebody's sick, we have some people in our congregation, they are just so eager to get there and pray for them and, and believe that God's going to heal them. And, and we see people get healed when we lay hands on them and pray for them. God does this stuff. And we shouldn't be surprised. Why do we set it aside and say, oh, God doesn't do that anymore? Well, that's dumb. I'm sorry. It just doesn't make sense. It's God that does his thing. But we don't need to be weirded out. Let's just enjoy the goodness of God blessing us in all kinds of ways and really see it at all. It all is miraculous. God's working through us, just fleshly vessels. He's doing his powerful stuff. And let's not make it so mystical that God working in the everyday gets missed. You know, years ago, I was in a, in a meeting, and we had a, had a good friend named Jonathan Wheeler, and he was deaf in one ear, had been all his life, and in the middle of the meeting, they were praying for him, and he said he heard a cork pop, and he could hear out of that ear, and still does to this day. That is so stinking cool. But you know what? The divine intervention that we saw with our kids, the divine intervention that we have seen with Donna and me and our health over the years, we're so thankful for that, we're not going to diminish that at all. When God looks at us and says, you have that sickness in your body because you're eating garbage, quit eating garbage and you'll start feeling better. That is just as much divine healing as, as Jonathan Wheeler having his ear popped open. And last week when I blew a gasket and they cut my body open and they stuck stuff in there that doesn't belong in my body and they woke me up and sent me home five hours later. <laughs> That's a miracle. That's a miracle. And I look at all of those. I look at Jonathan Wheeler's ear. I look at everything in the middle. And I look at the surgery that I had last week. And I say, bless God and thank you, Jesus. Amen? The day of miracles that we live in, whether it is direct from his Holy Spirit or it comes direct from his Holy Spirit through the hands of another or through an aspirin out of a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> Praise God. Yeah, right. Bless Jesus. I receive it. Yes. So there you go. But <laughs> How do you so feel let's, about let's make this practical. Let's make this practical. And it, do, it doesn't have to be so mystical that we miss God interacting in our lives. Yep. Mm -hmm. So the third category that we broke it into is kind of a mixture of the two, mixed between the two. It says to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. There are going to be some who say, well, this is just the ability to learn languages. We get it. We don't agree with that. We're not comfortable with that. I think it could be argued well out of Acts that all of those places, it doesn't tell us that, but I think it could be argued that all of them were known languages, and I think I could back that up. And yet, this, there's something miraculous about this that happened instantaneously. And there's also that passage in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, that says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. I think to close the door on something, I just don't think there's wisdom for that. I don't think we have a verse for it. People go there, and I get it. But to be, to be willing to say God can do whatever He wants at any time He wants in any way He wants, we do feel that that's greater wisdom. Yeah. You know, this particular gift, tongues, has been very divisive in the church. Has it not? Maybe you've experienced that. And um, it's unfortunate because gifts are actually meant to build unity in the yeah. building up of the body, right? So this is really obviously whatever we've done with it has been a misuse of it. And so um, I think we would say we're open to it, but we're also very cautious with it, right? And you'll feel that here. There's other churches where it's more commonly and boldly expressed that are less cautious than we are. Um, but it's not because we think it's ceased or gone away. It's just simply we're being cautious. We want unity. We want health in the body. We, we've probably, many of us, experienced, like I experienced in high school, where um, I had some very good, charismatic friends say to me, you know, you don't speak in tongues, so you're not filled with the Spirit, and you're not a very powerful Christian, and if you would start speaking in tongues, God would use you powerfully. 
Um, and then my youth pastor, when I went to him, the fire act will tell them that what they're doing is demonic, you know, and so they need to, right? And that's like they're both wrong. That's not right, right? There's a place for it. We're going to see as we study through 1 Corinthians that some have these gifts and some don't. Uh, it's not an expectation of God on any one of us in particular, but God will gift as he will <laughs> his people. And he gets to do how he wants to do it. But to understand that um, these gifts are for building up, that there is unity and diversity. Mm. And when all of us express our gifts in different ways, it's meant to bring unity not to divide us. And so whenever it becomes divisive, we're going to be really, really cautious and pull back and be careful with it. There are a couple of good quotes about this that I like. One of them says, the ability to speak in several languages is an asset, but the ability to keep your mouth shut in any language is priceless. <laughs> I think that's great. And then Evie Hill said, with the folks speaking in tongues and the choir singing in Latin and the preacher talking about Hebrew and Greek, it's no wonder folks are walking out still lost. Folks, let's make this practical. Mm -hmm. Let's make it about what brings the most glory to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And here's the simple reality. He sums it up so, so well in verse 11 when he says, All of these, all, of, all the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, no matter where they're found, no matter what they are, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. You think about that. He apportions it. He gives them as he wills. Do you realize the depth of what that means? That the Holy Spirit has a will and has the ability to pull it off, to make it happen? Do you realize those are attributes of Godness? He has a will of what he wants to give to who, and then he has the ability to pull it off. Those are things that you and I do not have. We see here, the Holy Spirit is God. He is one of the members of the Trinity, is equal in deity as the Father and the Son. And he has ministered to, he has moved in, he has moved into your life if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior. So I, I think what we're going to encourage you to do is be open to what God might be doing new and fresh in and through you. Um, maybe God wants to use you and, and gift you or bring to life the gifts he's given you in new and fresh ways and to be open to God using you in incredible ways in the, in the days ahead because God wants to do this in and through you. And Sometimes, I think, out of fear, we're, we're reluctant to say, God, what do you want to do in and through me? But let's let him have his way with us. He is Lord, right? Jesus is Lord here. We're going to submit to him and his word. We're not going to get in danger in crazy town zone. We're just going to listen to God. Uh, my, my son Bjorn um, has, was in Los Angeles. He's been going to Los Angeles a lot lately because of a, an important lady in his life. Um, he's now really? engaged to, yes, yes. <laughs> he's now engaged to. Uh, and she worships in a pretty charismatic church. And so he was, uh, he walked in the door a few weeks ago and uh, a lady came up to him who didn't know him and he had never met in his life. And she said to him, what's your name? And he said, my name's Bjorn. And she says, well, I have a word from the Lord for you. Uh, you're not getting enough sleep. You need to get more sleep. <laughs> and you need to get up, go to bed earlier so you can get up earlier and spend more time in the word of God and in prayer. And basically said, good to meet you and moved on. And he said, Dad, how did she know that was true about me? <laughs> that was what I needed to hear, right? And thank God for some, right? Would you and I have the courage to do that? Thank God for somebody that had the courage to listen to the spirit of God to actually speak something into somebody's life that needed to hear it in a critical moment in his life. 
and he received it, and he's working on those changes, right? And so, like we all are. And so, what a great thing. Let, let's be open to what God might be doing in us in ways that uh, maybe we might be scared of um, in our past. So there are two groups of us sitting here in this morning. Those who have accepted Jesus, the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, and those who have not. And for both groups, there's one verse that just speaks so powerfully, and it's verse 3. Let's go all the way back up to verse 3 where it says, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? Are you able to say Jesus is your Lord? Listen, this is the only expression that's going to matter in a thousand years. Oh, I want all the gifts. He said they're all going to come to an end at some point, and the only thing that will matter is that Jesus is still Lord. Amen? Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? It is as simple and as eternal as this, recognizing I have said I've done things that were wrong. I have broken God's holy law. And dear God, I am so sorry. I believe that Jesus died on the cross because of my sin. And I want to say thank you for that. I receive his forgiveness. And in exchange, I give him my life. I confess Jesus is my Lord. I'll do what he tells me to do. I'll go where he tells me to go. I'll live where he tells me to live, even if it's in Utah. And I will serve him there. That's what it means to be a Christian. But friends, for those of us who have accepted Christ and we've despised, we've not recognized, we've hidden, we've repressed whatever gift the Holy Spirit has given to us, wouldn't it be great this morning to take just a few minutes and get some things right in that area also? Just to be able to say, God, I'm sorry. I have suppressed you. I want to invite you to move through me. So let's just take a moment in prayer here, just quietly in our hearts. And just ask God, what do you want to say to me this morning? What steps do you want me to take here from what I've heard to be more used by you? Let's just take a moment. Father, for those who are here this morning who have never accepted Jesus as their Savior, would you please show them the beauty of Christ, the beauty of the love that you have for us expressed in the person of Jesus. Someone who was willing to say, look, a penalty needs to be paid, I'll pay it, and died on the cross for us. God, show them how much you love them in Christ. But Father, for those of us who have accepted Jesus and been, have either been ignorant of, unaware of, refusing to, suppressing the gift that you've given to us through your Holy Spirit, we want to take just a few minutes to say I'm really sorry about this. Father, for the fear that we've had that have kept us from operating in those gifts, we're sorry for that. Would you please use me? God, would you please use each one of us to bring life, glory, encouragement, blessing to your body because we are all members of that one body of Christ. God, use us. <laughs>